Welcome back to More Than Tracy Turnblad, the podcast about body size diversity in entertainment and media. My name is Abby Rose Morris, and today I am interviewing Lauren Ash, who is an actress and writer who you may know from Superstore, Chicago Party Ant, Super Fun Night, or She Rot in the Princesses of Power, or any of her many other TV and film appearances. Lauren is so amazing. She's also a podcaster herself. She hosts a podcast called True Crime and Cocktails, uh, which you can find on all the podcast streaming platforms as well. So it is the day after Halloween, and I hope you're all listening to this on your hungover commute. And since we do talk about Halloween costumes a lot in this episode, because one of Lauren's most famous episodes of Superstore was that she wore a sexy cop costume, and though it was not commented on in the show, there was a lot of media coverage of that and how revolutionary it was for someone her size to be wearing that costume. So we're going to get a lot more into that into the interview, but first I wanted to talk to you about my experience finding a Halloween costume this year, because... I have never bought a costume off the rack, and ooh, this was my first time, and it was tough. So basically, my boyfriend has a little black dog, so I was like, obviously, gotta have to do Wizard of Oz, have to be Dorothy, I've got a built-in Toto, how can I not, right? So I start looking for a Dorothy costume, and at this point, I have like a week, a week and a half. And the only ones I can find that have plus sizes or like any size that will fit me are like on Amazon and they're going to take forever to ship. So I'm like, okay, if I can't get Prime, I don't want to take the risk of not having anything to wear at all, right? So then I start looking at party stores, like costume party stores. I've heard they have some plus sizes, so I'm just kind of praying. Um, so first I look at Spirit Halloween, there's a Dorothy costume, they literally don't even have it in a size large, like anywhere in New York City, and you know, I can go anywhere to pick it up, I got my unlimited metro card, like, I'll go anywhere. Uh, so then I started looking at Party City, and the only thing that they had was a sexy Dorothy costume, which did not even look like Dorothy, it had like a fluffy apron in it. But they did have not one, but two costumes in an extra large available somewhere in the city. Now, my measurements were like kind of on the cusp between the X large and the plus size. And that's like a very privileged place to be in because if they had not been, I would not have had a Halloween costume, right? So, you know, I have to go to a different party city than I'm already going to to pick up my boyfriend's scarecrow costume to get this sexy Dorothy costume. And thank God, thank God it fits. But it's got this stupid apron and it looks, it does not look like Dorothy. Like it just, it was absolutely absurd. You may have seen it on TikTok. I showed it in a TikTok. It was just so silly that like the one thing I could find was sexy, especially because I was literally dressing up as a child. And you know, I hear a lot of other fat people talk about being overly sexualized. That has not really been my experience. I feel like I've been more desexualized generally. That's just how it's gone down. But the fact that the only Halloween costume that I could find to like fit my body of the the very popular character I wanted to be was a sexy version. That was the first time I was like, wow, I don't even have the choice to not be sexy, you know? So anyway, I painstakingly spend the entire night before a very early morning work shift taking the apron off, like ripping it off. I don't have a seam ripper. I'm literally using kitchen scissors and sewing it by hand. 
back together. So it did work out and I really liked my costume, but my costume didn't really look like Dorothy. And that was just simply the only option that I had. And you know, yeah, of course we should plan ahead and everything, but like that's not always possible. Being Dorothy didn't even occur to me until a week before. And every other year I have gone to a thrift store, had some kind of costume that was like, didn't require anything this specific. Like, so this was a very interesting experience having to buy that off the rack costume. It was also uncomfortable as hell. It reminded me of my dance recital costumes from high school. And, you know, I probably would not do it again. I obviously next year will try to plan ahead more, but it's just not fair that we have to. It's just, it's so unfair that we have to be extra super organized, like in order to find anything that we want to do that fits. And it's such a little thing, right? And I already have the privilege of being able to fit into the one of the two ex-larges that were in New York City. So I just keep thinking like for people who are larger than me, it's just all tenfold. Like, it's all so compounded. I think it's very interesting how we see certain size inclusivity in certain areas. Like, a lot of conventional stores are now expanding their size ranges at least a little bit, at least online. But things like specialty things like a Halloween costume or dance wear or often like athletic wear or small boutiques, they are still like small, medium, large. So yeah, expand your fucking Halloween costume sizing because this is ridiculous. Not all of us can fit in a standard size and still want to have a regular costume. Maybe not a sexy costume either. Although, to be fair, Party City only had sexy Dorothy for all sizes. It's just that Party City was the only place to get any Dorothy costume in the size that I am. (laughs) So... Oh my goodness, it is a minefield, and Dina from Superstore was a lucky gal when she found that cop costume. (laughs) So we are going to talk about that and many other things in my interview with Lauren Ash. So welcome, Lauren. Hi, welcome to you. Welcome to you. That's, I mean, it's, <laughs> welcome I, to I, my I, own podcast. Welcome to your own podcast. I welcome. appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate you being here. It would be more difficult for me to be here if you weren't. So thank you. <laughs> Indeed, I am hosting the Zoom meeting. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah um, exactly. Lauren, why don't you tell us how you first got into the arts? Like, what's your origin story? Yeah, well, I was actually extremely painfully child, shy as a child, and my mom put me into modeling classes. Again, ah. welcome to the 1980s. Um, and so <laughs> I, I, it really did kind of work a little bit. It did bring me out of my shell a little bit. And then it was when I was about seven, I saw a video camera for the first time. Again, it was a different time and place, everybody. Uh, and I just came alive. And I was like a new kid who just wanted to make jokes and do voices. And I started doing impressions and stuff like that. And it was literally like a switch flipped. And that was just the moment that I was like, this is what I want to do. And so I think fourth grade was the first play I was in. And it was just it. Like it was like this is just always single focused what I was going to do. No other question. Um I did school plays. I did community theater. I got a full scholarship to go to theater school. I dropped out after four months. Uh, It was a hellish experience. 
Um, and then I went to the second city in Toronto, uh, mm-hmm. where I'm from, and started taking improv classes and then did the touring company and the main stage there. Then I did the main stage in Chicago at Second City. And then I kind of bounced around a bit up to Toronto, down to L.A. Uh, and then my first show, a TV show in L.A. was Super Fun Night on ABC with mm-hmm. Rebel Wilson, who I know is a fan favorite uh, for content uh, like oh, what you make uh, right now. <laughs> um, and uh, and then after that show, I did some other things. And now and then Superstore, of course, was the, the big American show for me, which I did for six seasons and just ended. So it's been yeah. a long, a long journey. A lot of people are like, you know have this perception of, you know, you came out of nowhere, like that overnight per- success perception. And I'm like, oh, I've I've been, it's I was working Canada. for 20 years <laughs> before I came here. So yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Absolutely. Um, so I am super interested in hearing a little bit more about your educational experience. Like, yeah, what made you want to <laughs> drop out of theater school? You know, it was a program that was designed to break us in an mm. intense, what felt like a social experiment way. Like oh my we God. were going to school twelve to fourteen hour days, and we were being we were being given an, a level of homework that was truly impossible. It was just impossible. If you had if you had tried to achieve all of the homework, you would never have slept, and so you had to kind of decide: like, am I going to do the work or am I going to sleep tonight? And I am someone who was a really, like, good student. Like, I really prided myself. I was, like, my high school valedictorian. Like, mm-hmm. I was, like, somebody who who really, if I'm tasked with something, I'm going to do it. And it was, so that was the first thing was that it was, like, I just hated being set up to fail. I hated that feeling yeah. of, like, don't give me more than is achievable. And then it just became abusive. I mean, for lack of a better term, I mean, I was getting notes on scenes, literally, and this is a quote. um, This was, and and excuse my language, it was not my quote, but my acting teacher said to me, "Um, were you raised by a single father? And I was like, I'm sorry. And he goes, because you just have this vibe like you were raised by a man who never combed your hair or hugged you. You're like a steely dyke. Oh my God. That was the note on my first scene study. Wow. And that's, again, like the tip of the iceberg. We could talk for a full 90 minutes about just my (laughs) four months in theater school. Yeah. But they did not respect comedy in any way. It was like if you wanted to be in comedy, it was not relevant theater. Um, They didn't give any sort of training about on-camera work, which a lot of actors, I mean, I'm sure you know, it would be helpful when going through an acting program to get some to get some on camera experience. Um, and mm-hmm. it basically, honestly, it got to the point where I was waking up every morning, dreading going, and I started to think, you know, maybe I'm just not meant to be an actor. And as I said, this was something that I knew I was going to be since I was seven years old. And it yeah. was at that moment that I had that one shred of confidence left where I went, Mm-mm, no, 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 I got to get out. And I remember I called my mom and she had been hearing me for the four months and how I was like slowly just breaking down as a human. And I was like, I think I got to quit. And she was like, I'm glad you're finally getting there. Like, yes, yeah. you need to quit. And yeah. I literally took the subway from there when I went in and quit to the second city and signed up for classes that day. And then I was hired to the touring company in less than a year, wow. um, which is a very, fa- is a fast track. But, mm-hmm. but the point being was, is that it was like, it just wasn't right for me. And that school also, for the record, has 
come under fire for their practices since. So it was not just me. <laughs> yeah, as as they should. Yeah. So uh, before we get into like how body size was affecting you through all of this, um, let's just talk about a question that I ask every person who comes on the podcast, uh, which is how do you like to describe your body? I describe my body as average. I am a size 12 currently. I'm usually a 12 to 14 Mm -hmm. um, and have been for most of my adult life. Again, we all fluctuate, obviously, but um, it's such an interesting, fascinating subject for me right now. And we emailed a little bit about this ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Um, Just given, given... Growing up in the 90s, it was a very different time from now. And I'm not suggesting in any way that it's like, I think it's super exciting. All of all of the conversation that's happening and people like connecting over the internet like, like we did, like we are, mm-hmm. um, all of that is so exciting and empowering to me. But it's really interesting having to make shifts in my own brain um, just given like what the fight was before and what the fight was now. And, and, and again, as somebody who as a size 12 to 14 has always felt like, I don't feel like I am the poster child for this movement. Yeah. But we're in a industry where somehow I, that has been kind of put upon me at times, at times not, but at times it has. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me because it puts me in a really weird position, to be honest with you. Right. And I find the whole midsize thing kind of bullshit. I'm Mm -hmm. like, there is no struggle being a size 12 to 14. Currently, you can buy clothes in straight sizes stores and you can buy clothes at plus size stores. We're the most privileged because we get twice the choice of clothing. Like, you can get a size 12 and double the clothes. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, yeah. when I saw that whole thing come out, and people might come for me about saying that, I, I don't know. But but when I saw that whole thing come out, I was just like, this feels to me like people who are trying to be a part of a club that's really cool and very exciting. And I get that, that it's like, this is like, but I feel like it's like there's ways to be a part of that club that don't have to take space um, that kind of isn't really yours. <laughs> yeah. Is no, it too that makes harsh? a lot of Have sense. I come in too hot? No, this is great. This is okay, great. Good. Like, okay, good. this is so interesting. Um, it's a kind of a different perspective than I usually hear, but that's mainly because this is an entertainment podcast. You know right. what I mean? So, like, because the standards are so skewed, like, honestly, I was a size 12 for a long time, um, 12, 14, mostly 14, but like, you know, since middle school, that's like where I sat and then I gained weight after college. But um, I felt fat the whole time. And I felt like I had ownership of the fat experience because of being in entertainment and in like in theater school at the time and feeling like everyone saw me as fat there. Even if in my real life, I wasn't experiencing the discrimination that people larger than me did. So right. it's like this weird dual experience Because not only for people who are in the industry who have maybe had those standards applied to them, but then also for people who see the tabloids being like, she's a size six. Can you believe it? She weighs more than 120 pounds, like whatever. Um, So it's it's such a weird experience. Um, Can you talk more about like the oppressions you experience versus don't experience? Yeah. I mean, it's and don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that 
I feel like I have had absolutely no, just, you know, no feelings about this. No, none Mm -hmm. of this thrust upon me. Um, I have, and I'll get into that in a second. I think for me, the difference is just when people recently have been, have been saying things online, like Dina on Superstore is a great example of plus size representation. That's what I'm, I struggle with because I'm like, but I'm not. And I, and again, we can get into more of those details later, but um, but I, I should just clarify again, I'm not suggesting that my life has not been made uh, difficult for, or, or challenged by this, but it's also having that perspective, right? It's having the perspective of, of what is my experience versus someone else's experience. Um, and, and few and overall, people lead with that perspective, which I think it's really great that you do. Right. And thank you. And, and, and because again, it's, I also, again, like I think I think the big thing for me in the early 90s when I was very young, the the stuff that we were being shown was wild and the narratives that we were being communicated was wild. The narrative around Brittany Murphy's body in Clueless. Yeah. The narrative that came out after that about how she was the chubby fat one was so hard to wrap your head around like it was. There was, and it, it's the dichotomy, and this is why this stuff is interesting and also like kind of a trip for me now. Because at the time, it's like I feel like my brain almost split about it because it was mm-hmm. so ridiculous. It was overtly so ridiculous. I was like, I can't yeah. put air into that because mm-hmm. she is a tiny human, objectively. Yeah. yeah, objectively. And it also then we watched her demise, and we watched all of that narrative literally ruin and destroy that woman's life totally and i mean Um, you could apply this to someone like judy garland too even a little further back 100 percent, exactly um so there was that part of me that was like i just can't put out put any kind of air into that because it's ridiculous but then of course as you've pointed out we are in an industry where unfortunately it was like but now i am submitting myself into a world where that exists. So yes. even though the logical part of my brain goes, that's messed up, the other part of my brain goes, but these are the standards? Right. Okay, let's go. So, I mean, I remember sitting in an agent meeting when I was young. I was in my early 20s, and I was thin. I was five foot seven, which I still am, haven't shrunk yet, not that old. <laughs> um, but I was maybe a hundred and. 35 pounds, 140 pounds. I was wearing probably like a size 10 at most, 8, 10. Mm-hmm. And I was being told to lose weight by by right. that agent. But again, for me, it was like, yes, it was upsetting. Yes, it was whatever. But it just fueled me. Like I was like, screw this guy. Like, first of all, I'm not going to hear that from a man. Second of all, I was like, but I, again, I'm holding on to this part that's like, but that's not real. That's yeah. not real. And I know that I do not need to lose weight as a 135-pound woman in order to, to be successful. Certainly, also, I'll add at the time, in Canada. I was like, what What are these yeah. standards for, like, you know, doing a Tim Hortons commercial? Get out of town. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but then again, when I got into theater school, stepping back for a second, I was, again, a t- tiny woman and mm-hmm. the biggest one there. Oh, yeah. I was 135 pounds and I was the biggest one there. And I remember being cognizant of it. I remember there was a scene study and we were all in period wear and that it was a whole issue for the costume department to find me a dress in my size. A dress yeah. in my size, a size 10. It, I didn't oh, even know same. it was a 10 Yeah, yet. that was my whole. Maybe an eight. Um, yeah. Which was just so bizarre. But then that was also a time, and this is one of the differences between, I think, 
between then and now is that I don't think people in bigger bodies felt necessarily like they had a space in that world. And so because of that, it just only attracted and the, the narrative being that it's like, yeah, you need to be talented, but you also need to look a certain way. Right. It just attracted this certain type. But then I got on the comedy path. And that's when things changed a little bit because I think the rules in that world are a little bit different. And when you're coming yeah. through improv and sketch, you're playing a million different roles in a two-hour show. Right. And so I think that that kind of was important for me. And that's not to say, again, that I didn't struggle with these feelings and all of the stuff it brought up in me and my own disordered eating and all of those things, because believe me, it did. Mm-hmm. But I think that that was, that was definitely like a saving grace during kind of formative years for me because um, it's it, it was a wild time, again, just viewing what the, the narrative – and I mean, the stuff in magazines too, it was like they would have experts estimate how much someone weighed. And now I know yep. as a – fully formed adult that I'm like, first of all, they're not going to be, they're going to be giving away a lot of toys if they're barking at the carnival because they were wrong. Every one right. of these estimates was so wrong. And now I love that people are putting on the internet like what their actual height and weight is because yeah. that is so powerful because it shows you again that our perceptions of numbers are completely false yes. and also meaningless. But, you know, but yeah, it's, it's so, and then I know I haven't fully answered the question, but, but basically it was it was when I was smaller that I felt like it was harder in terms of what I was coming up against in the industry. And then once I, again, gained weight into a 14, give me a break. But that's it, somehow the pressure kind of alleviated a little bit. Yeah. Um, and truthfully, it's been interesting that I feel like we had we had one conversation during Superstore, I remember, about like, are we going to address this? And I was like, do you think we need to address it? Yeah. And we didn't. And it was Dina's weight was never addressed. She was only ever perceived as being extremely confident and also being like a sex symbol. Mm -hmm. Everyone was just in agreement in the store that it was like, yeah, she's hot. Yeah. And it's so interesting that even now it feels like it's like that just felt like, well, I am hot. Lauren Ash is hot. So therefore Dina is hot because we share the same body. So that makes sense. Um but it was so interesting how many people found that revolutionary. And it really did mm-hmm. make me take a step back because I feel like I've always tried to keep the two separate. And somehow, I know it sounds so messed up, but somehow I've always kind of looked at the industry standard as being such a joke that it's like I can't be serious about it. But then I also still, again, have gone through all the same shit, the disordered eating and the hate and self-hate and all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they they intersect at times, but that was also a trip for me too. Is hearing hearing that feedback, which is so great, but ultimately again, right, indicative of the distance that still needs to be traveled. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with you. It can be so jarring, and I feel like I've had this too, where I've sort of in my bones known that like for me, dieting was not sustainable in a lot of ways. For me, like I think that I have sort of known in my bones that like my body is its healthiest when I am taking care of it. And when I'm taking care of it, it tends to be like, um, you know, not not the entertainment standard size. And right. so, like, I think I've known that and I've known that the standards are crazy. And yet, because I want to be an actor so bad, like, I can't help but be like, oh, but when I walk into the room and sing this song, they're going to think that I'm I'm crazy because I don't look like this song. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like when you... Th- 
even when you've done like this healing work inside or when you naturally have this sense of self-worth, like you still have the outside perception that you have to think about whether in a practical way or or in an all-consuming like anxiety producing way. Totally. And it's interesting because I've actually had really interesting audition experiences. I remember there was one week that I booked a role. I was in my 20s and I booked a role that was described as 45 morbidly obese with a brush cut. And in the same week, (laughs) and in the same week, I booked a role that was described as 23 rookie cop hot as hell. So Wow. What I have been lucky again, and but this is again being coming up through comedy and having an agent who was willing to, you know, talk to casting and go, you don't know what you want. Just take a look. Yeah. People that's awesome. were creative in some of that those castings. But the joke is, is that it's then in like in other ways, again, that it, it all seeps in, you know? And then I'll mm-hmm. and then it's like auditioning for a role where it's like, no, 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 but the joke is that you're not that big, but we're making fun of you for being fat. And I'm like, but I don't want to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like and and then people again rewarding you in to your face when it's like you look so great and it's like oh i'm the least healthy i've been in my entire life oh yeah that's a you that's know a mind fuck yes it, it is and again but for me somehow it feels it it's always felt more overwhelming and again i'm sure it's all cyclical of a specific thing but it's always mm-hmm. felt more overwhelming um, in really kind of non-traditional ways. It's uh, the other thing that's that's uh, that's very overwhelming. And I think I mentioned this to you on TikTok in our original correspondence. Mm-hmm. When people meet me now, the first thing every time out of their mouth is like, "You're so small," and it's always that word "small," which mm. I always also find very interesting. Because you're five seven, like I'm five seven, but there's a perception that I'm like six foot five for whatever reason <laughs> from that show, and I'm like, well, I'm also next to America Ferrera, who's like five two on a good day. So it's right. like also that's something that I think that we never realized growing up consuming content, which was like everybody looks larger than life, but everybody is actually. Yeah. A t- tiny pocket person, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Absolutely. So it, it, it's again, it's it's those moments. I think more than more than anything for me, where it's it's like reminding me that even when, like you're saying, even when you feel like you're aligned and you're confident and all of those things, it's those moments that of projection from others that are jarring. Yeah. Or even it's like I want to go back to the sexy cop costume, like when yeah. they compliment you, and it's like they're surprised that they're complimenting you. Yeah. So what was that, The you know, the very first episode where it appears and when that came out, what was that response like for you? My social media tripled, followers tripled in a day when that mm-hmm. episode aired, which was fascinating to me because yeah. the show had been on for two years at that point. Uh, it was in season two mm-hmm. and it was, it, sh- it like everything shifted, which is so interesting because again, it's like, I'm the same person. I wasn't wearing any more makeup. My hair had not changed. It was just that I was wearing a different outfit. And what are the perceptions also of that outfit? The number one feedback I got at the time was, you're so brave. Oh, my God. You're so brave to wear that on television. And my response was always, no, 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 no. I'm brave to wear my ill-fitting khakis on television. That's brave because <laughs> they look bad. Um, there's their, uh, they got better over the years, but the first season, revisit it. They're oh, God, not, I totally feel great. you. There's there's <laughs> nothing like having an ugly costume that you know is not, and just not doing like, you any favors. Yeah, not, not 
tailored, not tailored well. Um, right. There, the, there was like pockets in the back on the butt that were right. like all uneven and stuff. I was like, that was brave. I was like, what is brave about wearing something that is inherently sexy, that has been tailored to my body by a professional mm-hmm. that, that looks hot? Why is that brave? Because again, the perception mm-hmm. being that a size 14, 12 woman shouldn't feel that confidence, that it's rare to feel that confidence, that it's revolutionary to see that on television. I mean, that's what that's wild. And I think, again, like because I had tried to disconnect from the narrative for so long completely because I was like, I can't buy into it or I'll I'll go down the Brittany Murphy road. Yeah. Um, It made me kind of forget in some ways when you're also in the thick of like being on a show full time and just working all day every day yeah it made me forget that I was like oh right no that's we're still in this this is still a thing I'm gonna have to address this okay (laughs) but you know what I mean like it was like I was and and that's what I talk about about like the shift that's happening now which is so exciting and it's it's so exciting to be able to have the conversations and and it's 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 wild but it's such a shift from in the narrative again coming up before was like trying to change the narrative about what was plus size what was plus size and and what we should perceive as plus size and what that you know what that conversation was and not putting air into this those kinds of conversations but now it's like the whole thing's blown up and everybody's talking about everything which is obviously much better and so exciting and great yeah. but it is that like shift in your brain where it's like you know the the world is changing at a at a faster pace than i ever dreamed you know yeah. cuz for so long it was not the case and for so long it was like if i engage too deeply in these conversations it will de- it will destroy my mental health you know yeah that's oh that's such an interesting that's such an interesting perspective cuz i think that i'm the opposite and for me it's been like really healing to talk about these things um but i do want to ask you which is this is also something we touched on in our emails, which is that um, like how has sizing itself changed and what is considered plus size? How has that shifted from when you were growing up? I remember when I was a kid again, in you know, I was born in 1983. I have no shame. We're all lucky to age. It's a gift and a privilege. Um, Amen. Thank you. Uh, but I remember the plus size stores. Now, granted, there was very few, but it was size 18 and up. And that was across the board. And even mm-hmm. if you Google now, like if you look at Wikipedia, if you Google plus size, it still is listed as 18 and up. Yeah. But what I watched happen in real time over the course of the early 90s, and I'm sure people listening who are around my age will remember this, is that it slowly started creeping that all of a sudden the stores were carrying size 16 and then they were carrying size 14 and then they were carrying size 12. And I was like, hold on a second here. Mm-hmm. First of all, that's just about money, in my opinion, that it's like Mm -hmm. these are stores that are wanting to carry more. um, When you're including smaller, that does not feel like inclusion to me. That feels like more opportunities to sell more clothing. If you wanted to be inclusive, go the other way. They were topping out at a size 22, 24. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like if you were trying to be inclusive, you would have been making larger clothing, in my opinion. Right. I don't think it was altruistic, is my point, Mm -hmm. Um, this movement. And then we all just kind of watched it happen. And nobody really, in my opinion, did anything or said anything. And it was also at the time where we were seeing plus size models, quote unquote, for the first time. And these gals were size 
eights. They were size eight to 10 at the most. I think when Mia Tyler came out, she was maybe like around a 12. And I remember being dumbfounded because that was like, yeah, so crazy at the time. What era would you pinpoint this in? Like what? Eight, this was like you know, mid nineties, early okay. mid nineties. And then yeah. it was like, and then it kind of was like, it was just it that it was like plus size was 12 and up and plus size models were smaller than that. And that's how it was for like a while. I feel like it wasn't mm-hmm. until the past, what, 10 years that we've yeah. really seen a shift in what um, inclusion in terms of of models looks like, plus size models, all of the above. But for years, what my narrative was, was when people were calling me plus sized. I was like, but I'm not plus sized. I don't right. believe that a size 12, 14 is plus size because you can buy it in straight sizing in any store. Yes. And putting me and my body as the representation of that publicly to me is doing a disservice because what I experienced as a child was seeing a size eight be a plus size model. And I know what damage that did to me. Yeah. So I have always, again, the narrative for me for years in terms of how I spoke about this was about trying to dismantle what that looked like. And that it was like, I'm not going to, again, breathe air into the conversation that I am plus size and that my body is is revolutionary to be sexy and all of the above. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still happy to have the conversations, but that was what the narrative was. So now that the narrative in 20, you know, 2020s is shifting and becoming something completely different, which, again, is so exciting. And I'm happy to, again, adjust and, and evolve with the times. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But it's a, it's an interesting place to be because mm-hmm. the the messaging is different. And, again, the whole midsize thing, which I know I came in so hot about. But, again, I'm just like, we're not oppressed. Anyway, um, it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's – yeah. And I think that both can exist. And and that's what it is it is for me. Do you know what I mean? Where it's Absolutely. like I think that it's it's – it's it, things are changing in such a positive way and that's so exciting and again like I said I get wanting to be a part of a movement I get wanting to be I get it and I'm there but I think that there's a difference between allyship and just trying to co-opt something to make it yeah. sound like you have been deeply oppressed your whole life my experience as an actor again has it affected my mental health my physical health my disordered eating all of the above absolutely do I think that I have it harder than people who exist in larger bodies absolutely not of course I have not. It so much easier do you know what I mean mm-hmm. and so again it's like it's all about perspective for me certainly and again I think just um having the conversations and, and having the discourse and people yeah. can disagree also like I think that that's also like that's all part of yeah like, but that's the <laughs> but that's also like that's a and, and look here I'm gonna go there very quickly but that's a privilege of this time and that and that's yes. again like coming up and watching Kate Moss and like the heroin chic phase of models where it was these women who like heartbreaking, heartbreaking the the, the way that they were existing at that time and the stories that you hear coming out of that time of how those models were living to to keep those jobs. Yes. It's gutting. And so it's it's just it's a it's a wild shift. And I feel like, you know, I feel like, again, even though I've already been so <laughs> come in so hot about midsize, I also have to remember that it's like it's so nuanced and it's such a like, yeah, all of it is so emotional and, and um, 
obviously deeply nuanced for all of us. Yes, it is. It's it's a hard thing because it's not like you can't have body insecurities. It's not like it wasn't ever going to be like it was commented on when you were any bigger than the smallest size. And like you do have you do carry that trauma. But I used to put it in a way that was like I experienced this like sort of social uh, kind of ostracization or like some degree of that coming from friends and family and like this sort of like mental emotional side of it but then I wasn't experiencing the physical side of it of it um not so much the medical side of it although a little bit like just at that like sort of in between size you don't experience and like I still don't I still can fit in airplane seats and things like that I still don't have the level of oppression that people in larger bodies than me have but it's and you know what I mean so it's like yeah and we do have to think like when if we're gonna center ourselves and we're in this like smaller mid-size whatever body like if we're gonna talk about our experience you have to defer to that of people larger than you because otherwise you're you're making it about the mental emotional piece like and and when that happens anybody can feel oppressed and yeah especially in entertainment and then when it's about that confidence I've talked about this a lot on TikTok. The confidence becomes more accessible to people in more socially acceptable bodies. So, like, it's always going to be easier for thin people, for white people, for people whose features fit, like, the Western beauty aesthetic. Like, when it becomes about those feelings, which I think a lot of the midsize sort of movement activism is, and it becomes about feeling beautiful, then... Then we're getting into dangerous, dicey territory, and we have to remember to keep this accessible to people in larger bodies. Yeah, absolutely. And also, um, I want to say real quick before we move on that when I was growing up, when I first started shopping in like women's stores, juniors section, whatever, um, at the time I was a size 12. And I remember it was always the biggest size, always every single store and I was ter- and 14 was the smallest plus size I think and I was like teetering on the brink and at that time like my internalized fat phobia was terrified that I would become a size 14 and like refuse to go into the plus size stores and I think one time my aunt took me to Torrid and I was wearing like a double zero x or whatever their smallest size was and I was like it was weird because I was like well I don't need to be here but I guess I can fit in the clothes here and I like the clothes here so, again, you have that, like, double of you can shop in both places. And then sometimes neither, but usually both. And that, like, is kind of, in its own way, a special place to be. Like, a privileged place to be. It, it definitely is. Mm-hmm. And again, like, I just remember watching that transition happen. Like, I remember going to, like... Now, granted, I also grew up with not a lot of money, so we were shopping at places that, you know... Walmarts and Sears. I don't yeah. know if you have Sears here, but it's stuff like that. Um, I was shopping exclusively at Once Upon a Child until I was probably 13. <laughs> I, I love that so much. <laughs> I love that so much. But I remember I remember the, the clothes definitely going up to at least a 14, if not a 16, hmm. wh- where I was. But then the shift changed. The shift all of a sudden. Interesting. Right? And so then it starts to go, well, wait a second. Like, Two years ago, that was in the in the you know straight sizes or however we want to label them, um, and now all of a sudden it's in this other section, and nothing's changed. But right, 
Do you know what I mean? And like that's but then the stuff. The and that's the social like, weight of which section you shop in. Right. And then it's all a construct. Mm-hmm. It's all and a it's construct. And it's so disorienting too because then it's like – you know, when I was younger, and I'm a little bit fatter now than I was then, but and like I'm I'm a few sizes bigger. I'm now probably like a 16, 18. But it's so weird because now you grow up and you find out there are people fucking fatter than you. And like when I was reading books as a kid, like if I don't know if you ever remember the click books, like those were very foundational, pretty little liars, all those girly books where it was like, oh my God, she's a size 12. Like it size 12 was like the worst thing you could be. And I, a size 12 reading those, um, you know, and then growing up and, and even gaining weight, but yet realizing my thin privilege has been right. very interesting. Very weird. Right. It's almost like the opposite of what happens, what's happened to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. So I would love to talk a little bit more about like the the time you've had in your acting career and like how has this showed up for you there um, in terms of roles you're called in for or ways that people have treated you on set, uh, anything in the costuming department. Have you noticed any shifts in that across your career? You know, it's interesting. Again, I remember... I remember, like I said, I remember being smaller and then uh, this one role and this one role I like fought against taking and the jokes were all at my expense of being so fat. And again, I was the smallest. I was also like deep in a eating, eating disorder at the time, deeply yeah. in an eating disorder. And um, I I just knew I was like, I don't think I should do this. But then I was also like, I really need the money. I am not in a position. And I tried to say no. And they kept coming back, kept coming back. And so I took it. And I remember like every day we shot those scenes just being like, what are you doing? And then we were in a table read for an upcoming episode of a show. And there was a line where another character was saying, you're not a cute babe pig. You're like a disgusting, overweight, gross pig. Oh, my God. And I remember just looking up and I just looked around the room and I just said, really? Like, again, like, I was, like, and and also, that's the other thing that I feel like the human side of those things, too. I loved a lot of the people that worked on that show so deeply. They're friends to this day. But I'm like, you guys don't know what I was going through at that time and how complicit that was in that in that process for me and what work it took to work through what that did. You know what I mean? And, like, also, just, like, lame and not fun and not funny and not helping again the narratives and I understand that the the rationale was like but it's ridiculous because she's small and I'm like but why is that a conversation at all like why is that you know what I mean like it's also an area where it's really hard to do sarcasm it's really yes. hard to have the joke and eat it too, if you know what I mean. Oh, like, that's um, a brilliant quote. Yes, <laughs> it's true. Um, you know, but like if you're talking about like a movie like, say, Shallow Hal, where like the moral of the story is that he loves a fat woman. But yet, as it while it's getting there, the way that it gets there is super fat phobic and they want to have all those jokes in there. They want to like make sure that they mind the fat suit for all it's worth. You know, it's like they sort of cancel each other out. Even when they're trying to do a good thing, like if they're not willing to give up the jokey possibility of getting those cheap laughs, it's 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 hard to do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I did a show once also where uh, I think that Joy Nash was saying this in uh, your episode with her. Mm-hmm. I got a, I did a show and after my uh, or the audition, they were like, you're not ugly enough. 
It's <laughs> like, I can't. You know, guys, that's something that's so um, attainable on the day. Like, you can do a lot Absolutely. to uh, go up Absolutely. a face. But, and it's it's funny because I was so torn about it, but it was a show where they, they ended up putting me in a fat suit mm. and a bad wig and a face mole and all these things. Yeah. And there was part of me that was like, is this, I don't know about this. Yeah. And then there was another part of me that was like, well, I, I, I mean, not all of the humor was about about the her her weight but again i was like what am i doing <laughs> do you know what i mean like it is yeah. those moments where you're like w-. because on the flip i've also had a lot of great experiences like again on superstore where it was just like we just we had the conversation once and then it was like no i don't think we need to i don't think we need to address it yeah. which actually in the non addressing of it became the addressing of it like that became the statement which was like we don't need to talk about Dina's body because it's not a conversation yeah there's no conversation here and in the show it seems so normal normal like it doesn't seem like if it weren't for the larger like cultural context of how like bodies even a bit larger than the entertainment standard are viewed on screen and how it's always mentioned and always treated a certain way like if not for that you just watch it and you're like no yeah that's it's it's just there's nothing about it that would make you be like what you know what i mean (laughs) like just because everybody treats it normally and then it's also weird because in real life like i feel like i've seen things like that happen where everyone's in agreement that somebody's hot even though they're not a size two like right that happens of course yeah and of course beauty is in the eye of the beholder and all the above but Mm -hmm. but again it's like yeah it's not abnormal and you know I think our show did such a great job of of diversity in general. Yeah, that, there's a lot of body diversity too, in particular. Yes, and and that we filled out the world in that way, mm-hmm. um, in terms of as we were continuing to to cast other characters. And and you know, one thing that I always bring up and uh, go with me because this is going to feel like where is she going with this? It'll come back. <laughs> okay. it'll, bo- it'll boomerang around. But one thing about girls and Lena Dunham when that show first came out, people. And and she's listen. There's lots of controversy, problematic, but go with me on this for a second. People were commenting about how it's like unbelievable that someone that fat was naked on television and yes. whatever. And I was like, she's <laughs> not fat. She's not. She is not. She is. She is. I guess. I mean, she's. She, if you you met her in person, and I've seen her in person at that time when those scenes are being filmed, she was around a size eight. She was not typically. She wasn't even midsize, but she had an atypical body type. And this is what I kept saying at the time. I was like, we have to, but this is, again, why I think words are important and nuance matters is that I was like, but but I don't think she is fat, you guys. I think we're just seeing an atypical body type. And it is um, atypical to what we see naked in yes. in content. Um, right. It is a very typical body type in the world. Right. But in terms of what we typically see on film and television. So again, I know that there's there's people have lots of opinions about her and her content and, and all of the above. And it's like, but, have your opinions. Absolutely. I have mine, too. But your opinions don't need to be based on her body or about her body or using yes. her body as indicative of other moral failings. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I do think that it was an interesting conversation that had that show come out now, I think it would be a completely different conversation about what that was. I think it was like on the cusp of, because I watched that going like, this is amazing. Good for her. Like, yeah. And I remember her saying at the time something about like, I'm just going to be naked all the time until it's like 
until it changes until it's normal yeah she was asked like why why are you naked all the time on your show like what statement are you making she was like i don't know people are naked sometimes i love that answer me too and yeah. again see and that's so real and that's the stuff to me that is the most interesting and exciting um because it is real and and that and it is you know messy and again bodies don't people are and this is the other thing too is that it's like guys um uh, everybody people uh people who are not a typical you know uh size two flat washboard abs body we get naked too <laughs> we actually do we, we do take our clothes off we don't shower <laughs> we're not never nudes like but again that was another moment for me where I was like oh my gosh this is a conversation we need to have how mm-hmm. is this a conversation we need to have it's the same as as like again me having to say like I, I appreciate that Dina resonated with people. I appreciate that people felt like it was revolutionary that we were not talking about uh, her body it, at all, it, other than it being yeah. hot. I get that, and that's great. But the point that I've been trying to make recently when this stuff comes up on social media is like, but we this is indicative of of truly how much work has to be done. And Absolutely. that there is, if you think that Dina Fox and me, because again, we share a body, if you <laughs> think that that is a, great representation of plus a plus size character on television that's we failed yeah in my opinion that's a great way to put it right you're definitely like selling me on this i mean i've always thought like anything in entertainment is progressive and like is the first step to showing a body that's not the the standard and like not commenting on it like that is a big it is a big step but you're completely right it's not it's not the big step that we think it is. It just feels like it. the progress, the conversation is happening at such a lightning pace and I feel yeah. like the progress is not meeting it. So to me, oh, it's like, yes, I do agree that it is a big step. I do agree that, again, when I saw Lena Dunham, I was like, oh, wow, we don't see bodies that look like this on television and film naked. We yeah. Typically, we haven't. And that's important. And I can, again... I can come out of it and look at it and go, it is important that Dina's body was never commented on other than people saying she was hot. I get that that's important. And I don't want to negate that either. I I think that that's awesome. For me, it's just that it's like, but if you, but if that makes me the poster child for this entire thing, again, it's like, we got to do more because there just needs to be more. I mean, growing up to me, it's like, who, who was the representation on television? It was like Roseanne. Brittany Murphy. (laughs) Just kidding. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. That was, that was the poster child for the plus size movement. My God. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, like Roseanne, mm-hmm. Delta Burke, mm-hmm. and then a little bit later, Sarah Rue. And mm. Sarah Rue was also not a, as, you know, was a smaller, was on the, the smaller end of that spectrum, certainly. There was not a lot. So again, I, I, and then I, again, I, I would say I'm even a little bit on the, the smaller side from from her. So it doesn't, again, mm-hmm. feel like progress to me. It feels like it's like, it it is, but that's sad. Like, it's like, this should not be the progress. We need to do better. We need to tell more stories. We need to show more bodies. We need to just put more in the content. Um, Because if we continue to do that, then it will no longer feel like it's such a novelty. You know what the trolls like to say when I say that? They like to say, um, but then you're going to encourage people to be fat. (laughs) I'm like, like, baby, the ship has sailed. No, it, it's way too late to, for anyone to be like, damn, I want to be fat. Like, come on. Come on. Come on. You know, I the first talk show appearance I did was on Conan and mm-hmm. I was smoking hot in that clip. <laughs> uh, 
And that's the reason why I don't look at YouTube comments now. And it's the reason why I have a podcast and we do not allow YouTube comments on. Because Mm -hmm. what I learned again was that, and it was totally protecting my own mental health because I was like, I could go down this road and I know what that will do for me. But people were saying things like along that line, like it was like, you, you're promoting obesity by existing. Uh, yes. You deserve to die. You should oh kill yourself. All these things. And I was smaller than I am now. And again, it was like, I was like, you know, between a 10 and a 12, I think at the time. Like, and and I, again, but but that's why I always have to, and I guess this has just been my, surf, maybe it's like, maybe I'm just, w- w- what I'm discovering through this, this chat with you is that I've, maybe it's just been a survival technique for me that it's like, I have to put it in the box of, but that's the that's not real. Like that's not true, and that's not real. And I cannot look at it. I just can't. I just can't. I can't. I can't invite it in because if I invite it in, that invites in a whole lot of other things that I've done and I've been through. I've I've experienced, and it's just it doesn't serve me. Totally, just, totally, and it doesn't serve anybody. You know. And the other thing, very quickly, I will just say again that connects to this specific thing is, I also just made the decision a few years ago that I was going to stop negatively self-talking and this was like on the cusp of when body positivity and body neutrality was kind of a thing I hadn't Mm -hmm. even really heard of it at the time and then I was like oh my gosh I'm like aligning with the greater movement and I didn't know um but it's so funny that that became like one of the big stories that magazines were running about me and they were not implying that I should but it was a novelty again that it was like isn't that wild isn't it wild that that a woman would employ and I think that it was again like that a woman would employ this way of of thinking and speaking about herself and since then like I talk openly I speak positively about myself in front of anybody and it is a trip it is amazing to watch how uncomfortable it makes people yeah to watch how disarming it makes people to watch how people get they don't know what to make of it like I will I will talk at length about things that I like about myself and granted there's things I don't like about my my body too but yeah. I just don't spend the time because if I spent the time again that's not healthy for right. me and like it's kind of a waste of time because it's not serving you and talking about the things that you do like about yourself does exactly and again the final thought on all of this is the only reason why we believe that bragging in my opinion is a bad thing is because that is what we've been programmed to believe yeah there, there's no reason why it should be negative for anyone, but certainly women, uh, you know, to, to big themselves up. There's just no reason. That's, again, that's something that we've been told. Just like we were told that Brittany Murphy was chubby and clueless. And that is a lie. <laughs> it is a lie. Indeed. So it is now time for a segment called Cast Me Cowards, where you tell me, one place that you would like to see yourself where you have not, you know, you might not be like traditionally cast according to entertainment standards. Um, I desperately, desperately, and this is such a bizarre one, but I, my like, one of my life goals is to be a like atomic blonde action movie star and not having to. Now, listen, I'll train for it, but not having to like change my body or like get ripped or whatever. Like I wanted to do I want to do a like full on action movie with full like slick fight sequences, shooting guns, running and sliding across hoods of cars. I love that. um, In the body that I'm in. That's what I want to do. Amazing. Yeah. I literally am I'm I'm developing some scripts right now um, with with NBC Universal and I. 
in like every one, I'm like, is there a way I can try and get a fight scene in here? Like, I'm like, I'm so passionate about like, because again, I, I think it's so fun to see women in those roles. I live for seeing women in those roles, but I feel like, first of all, there's just a deficit. And second of all, um, you know, I also, now granted, I'm not going to get into the larger debate because I can't believe I'm even going to say her name. But when I saw Gina Carano on The Mandalorian, I was like, this is awesome. Like she's kicking ass and she looks fabulous. And then it became a whole other, that became a whole other thing. But um, her as a person and uh, politically, but, but, um, I was like, oh yeah, I was like, this is what I've dreamt, dreamt of is like being the like girl who just kicks ass and looks like powerful and amazing doing it. Amazing. I love that answer. That's so good. So the last question that I'm going to ask you is what can we do moving forward? Do you have, um, like any guidelines you could set for like making better body diverse representation on TV slash in the entertainment industry as a whole or or anything you wish that people would do to combat the lack of representation for me and i i i mean i I would also love to hear your opinion on this but for me i would love to see larger bodies on television in roles where the story is not about them being in a larger body amen and i am not again suggesting that we erase what that experience is or that that can't come in or or whatever but it's to me it's like can't we just see normal people and by normal people I mean everybody like to me the best television and film like I've alluded to before it represents what the real life experience is and I don't need to tell you the real life experience does not look like what we've been shown since basically the beginning of time. And then when Hollywood wants to pat itself on the back because they've put a larger bodied person in something, um, it's always that the story is about their struggle or about them trying to find love or whatever. And I'm like, what if we just saw those bodies playing roles where it's not brought up? What if we just saw those bodies playing and those people playing roles where they exist and have storylines and have romantic relationships and it just doesn't come up because again what I've learned is that when we did that with me a size 12 14 woman it people found it revolutionary so I honor that and I say cool well then let's take the next step let's do it with people who are bigger than me let's put them in things and not have them comment on it let's allow them to have romantic relationships and be sexy and be sexual and all of those things and it not be commented on um, I just feel like it always feels to me, I always get excited when I see something has, has some sort of inclusion and then I'm inevitably disappointed because inevitably the storyline is about that or about the person being tragic or their life being a mess or whatever. And it's like, I know plenty of, of people who are every walk of life and every shape and size and every b- b- color who are powerful and successful and wonderful and loved and in romantic relationships and we don't just sit around talking about um what our bodies are every day that that is not what our lives are so that is what I think the the movement needs to be and listen I I currently am am a a creator I am uh trying my best and it is on my mind diversity in general in terms of this in terms of of disability representation in terms of 
LGBTQ plus representation in terms of people of color. All of that is on my mind and in a way that is exciting to me. Um, and, you know, it's 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 an uphill battle. And I think sometimes being on the other side, too, it's like it's hard. But I think that when you come into things with that intention and you come into things with that in mind and you really do have an agenda to try and make change and try to make things different, even if you can't get everything that you try to achieve, you should Mm -hmm. be able to get some of it. And to your point, some, every little bit does push us in the right direction. And, and I hear you that it's like, maybe my, my, my part of my issue is that I'm like, well, we got to go faster. Let's speed it up. Come on, <laughs> let's go. No, because because there's discourse on the Internet that's so like light years ahead of what we're actually seeing reflected in media. So it's frustrating. It is. And I think, again, I wish that the Internet existed in the same way when I was when I was back in the 90s, because I yeah. think, again, we would be so much further now. And, and again, I, I just fully believe that. All of these conversations make, you know, patriarchy and all of those things so scared because mm-hmm. when when people are empowered that have been disenfranchised, obviously, uh, it makes us realize that, oh, um, we're only uh, feeling like we're less than because we've been told that we should. And uh, yes. I think that we can probably uh, come together and make some change. Uh, so, yeah. So that's long story short, too late. Uh, that is my hope. My hope is to personally create content that is able to reflect um, those kinds of things and include, uh, you know, again, a, a, a cross section that just looks like what the world looks like rather than, uh, and I love the show, but rather than Friends, um, which is the yeah. touchstone in comedies for me always, which is like, I love yeah. the show. I, I really do. And, and there's it, so many good things about it. Great jokes. Joke, joke, joke. It's mm-hmm. amazing. But I don't want to see a show that looks like that ever again. <laughs> Awesome. Well, it was so great talking to you. This was such yes. a good conversation. Um, I wish I'd, I'd asked you more about writing now in hindsight. I'm like, oh, man, we just flowed and I forgot to get to those questions. But then you said it anyway. So listen, there, there we go. It was organic. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, I am so excited to hear about your future projects and where things go in your career and all the things you're working on. Um, and if there's anything you would like to plug, like your podcast, now's the time. Yeah. I have a podcast called True Crime and Cocktails. I host it with my uh, best friend, sister by life, cousin by blood, Christy Oxborough. Um, but you know what? The show also is like, we've done it for about a year now, and it's as much about talking about pop culture and uh, <laughs> eating the patriarchy uh, as it is about talking about true crime. So it's uh, it's a fun one. True crime, I know, is a, is a problematic genre for a lot of people. It's a real gray area, but um, we have a lot of fun over there, and it's... Uh, become a real kind of joy which is interesting because it started in murder but now it's become something bigger which is really cool (laughs) that's awesome yeah um and then is there anything upcoming that we should watch for you in or watch for you writing you can watch me on Netflix right now. I'm the voice yes. of the Chicago Party Ant. I play Diane, the 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 main character on Chicago Party Ant on Netflix which is streaming now, the first part. First part? I think that's what they call it on Netflix now. Um and then more to come. We'll see. Again, I'm in the I'm in the the development writing phase, which is awesome and fun and exciting and so hopefully more things to come in the new year. And of course, Superstore on Hulu. Always. <laughs> Absolutely. And where can we find you on social media? Yes, on Instagram at Lauren Elizabeth Ash and on Twitter at Lauren underscore Ash. There's no synergy on my channels. It is what it is. Beautiful. All will be linked in the description. 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Lauren. Have an awesome rest of your day. And again, it was wonderful to talk to you. Ah, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to More Than Tracy Turnblad. If you liked it, hit subscribe and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. Also, follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, all at More Than Tracy T. And just tell your friends. Word of mouth is great, too. You can find more information at morethantracyturnblad.com. Oh,